And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I gotta kick myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This time, it's part two of the Jack Benny program with guest Richard Widmark from 1950. Then, it's a Ray Bradbury sci-fi story called The Velt on X-1 from 1955. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. We have Mike Costello over here as well. Hello. And we're going to listen now to the conclusion to the Jack Benny program. We started listening to this last time. Let's go back to November 12, 1950. His special guest is Richard Widmark, the Jack Benny program. Yeah, it sure is a dreary night tonight, Curly. I wish I could close up and go home. What do you have to eat? Throw me one of them apples. They're wax. Oh. <laughs> hey, Charlie, look what's on top of one of them wax apples. Yeah, stupid worm. <laughs> Come on, Curly, I want to go home. What do you have to eat? I don't know. What do you got? Well, how'd you like some squaw baked in wine? Nah, nah. Have you got any ham hocks? Student bourbon? <laughs> nah, we're all out of ham hocks. Good. Just bring me the juice. <laughs> okay. Say, Carly, next week when you come in here, you won't know this lunchroom. It's gonna be real ritzy. New curtains and drapes and rugs on the floor. Yes, sir, I can just see the way this place is gonna... Hmm. What's the matter, Charlie? What are you staring at? I was staring out the window. Two guys had just stepped off the curb and were crossing the street. I'd never seen them before. They looked tough. Very tough. One of them looked exactly like Richard Widmark. Courtesy of 20th Century Fox. <laughs> they were coming this way. Uh, what'll it be, gentlemen? I say, what'll it be, gentlemen? Gentlemen, what'll it be? What are you shaking for, blue eyes? <laughs> <laughs> it ain't cold in here.
I'm getting ready to close up, gentlemen, so if you want something to eat, you better order it. Hey, Sluggy. What is it, Giggles? Bouvier <laughs> is in a hurry. Maybe we ought to slow him down. Yeah, down. Now, look, gentlemen, I don't want no trouble. What'll you have? You can have some ham and eggs or some corned beef hash or a mixed green salad. Ouch! Why did you slap me? I don't like salads. You don't? No. He thought he would antagonize me by blowing smoke in my face. But he was wrong. I liked it. Now, look, fellas. I want to close up this joint, so you better order and get out of here. And put that gun down. <laughs> Did you hear that, Slugger? Huh? Did you hear that? <laughs> he wants me to put the gun down. Yeah, down. <laughs> I was in a spot. The taller one was five foot ten and sinister. The shorter one was five foot six and crazy. <laughs> crazy or not, he was a neat dresser. He even had a carnation in the hole in his head. In desperation, I looked toward my only customer, Curly. But he was no help. He was lying there under the table. I had put too much seasoning in the ham hock. <laughs> tough and I'd have to bluff my way out. So I turned to the taller one and said, now see here, mister, I want to ask you a question. Look, big man, I ask the questions around here, see? You just answer them, do as I tell you, see? If not, you'll get hurt, see? Now get me something to eat, see? And be quick about it, look. Look. Where? Shut up, Slugger. Now look, big man, I asked you to get me something to eat. Well, it's about time. You know, I have the reputation of serving the tastiest food in town. Oh, you do, eh? Okay, I'll make you a deal. If your food is as good as you say it is, we'll scram. But if it ain't, I'll blow your head off. Well, that's a fair deal. <laughs> What'll you have? <laughs> Throw me one of them apples. When he asked for one of those wax apples, I knew I was in trouble. His crazy pal had eaten them all. <laughs> I was afraid to look for the worm. <laughs> Well, I'm waiting. I'm sorry, but wait a minute. What are you reaching your back pocket for? To get my handkerchief. Your handkerchief? Yeah. Hmm. You must have a bad cold. <laughs> yeah, I just took those shots for it. <laughs> oh, Giggles, no wonder you was a panic in the streets. I know what you guys want. 
You're a couple of gangsters. You're here to hold me up. Did you hear that, Slugger? The big man thinks we're here to hold him up. <laughs> yeah, up. <laughs> well, you got us wrong, Blue Eyes. We come in here to talk business with you. Business? With me? Yeah. We heard you're going to get this dump redecorated. Yes, I am. What's that got to do with you? Well, we want to know something. What? Who are you getting your chintz from? <laughs> chintz? Yeah, and a silk lining for your drapes. I'm not going to have them lined. Now listen, big man, you're going to have drapes and you're going to have them lined. And you're getting them from us, see? Now look, fellas, you can't come in here and intimidate me. I'm going to call the police. Okay, blue eyes. Go ahead, call the police. Well, I would, but I... I don't know the number. Oh, you don't know the number, huh? Well, maybe I could help you out. How can you dial the phone from way over there? Stand aside and I'll show you. Information. Go ahead, big man. Talk. And talk fast. I'm bleeding. <laughs> well, I'm not afraid of you guys anymore. You took three shots before and three shots now. You're out of bullets. I've got my gun, see? Come on, out with your hands, both of you. Ah, oh, you want to shoot it out, eh? Okay, hand me a gun, slugger. Here you are. Now take that. On your real gun. Oh, no, you don't. I got you guys covered. Take that. You got me, Slugger. You got me. I'm dying, Slugger. I knew the day would come. <laughs> I knew I couldn't get away with it. Oh, everything's getting dark. I can't see. I'm dying, Slugger. <laughs> he gave me the kiss of death. And now there's no way out. <laughs> Goodbye, Slugger. I'm dying. <laughs> dying. <laughs> dying. Well, fall down, you big hand. Help him. Yes, that's my story. I killed him. And I'll do it again for the West Coast at 9.30. <laughs> this is Charlie Gundelfinger saying good night. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank the fellow who looked like Richard Widmark for appearing here tonight. Through the courtesy of the studio that looks like 20th Century Fox. Dick, I want to thank you very much for being on my program tonight. Well, I was happy to be with you, Jack, but uh, there's one thing I'd like to ask you. What's that? When do I get paid? <laughs> paid? Yeah. 
<laughs> Good night, folks. Be sure to hear Dennis Day in the Day of the Life of Dennis Day. Next week, Jack Benny will have Dinah Shore as guest. Stay tuned for the Amos and Andy show, which follows immediately transcribed over CBS, Columbia Broadcasting. And that's the Jack Benny program. From November 12, 1950, special guest Richard Widmark has heard on CBS. When we come back from the break, it's X-1. Don't go away. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of May, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting tales of high adventure. Escape Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99 this month only. Also on sale during May is The Life of Riley Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring William Bendix. The Life of Riley Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price price only $9.99 via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1 and The Life of Riley Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In June, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during May. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant, absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360 across nearly 200 radio stations from coast to coast. Make sure you check out our website at Hollywood360radio.com. We have a podcast there and all kinds of fun stuff. But right now, it is time for X-1. This was a sci-fi series that came to radio in 1955, lasted until 1958. It was a revival of NBC's Dimension X series, which came to radio in 1950. Now, Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts adapted the best sci-fi stories from Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Robert Heinlein, Frederick Pohl, and others. No movie stars were featured on X-1, but it had the best New York actors in the supporting cast. We have an episode now called The Velt, written by Ray Bradbury. It stars John Larkin. Let's go back to August 4th, 1955, for part one now of X minus one. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. From the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future. Adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction, presents... X minus one... Night story. Ray Bradbury's tale, The Velt. This is the office of Dr. David McLean, resident psychiatrist of the new Chicago Institute of Human Engineering. 
All right, Miss Carver, will you take this, please? To Charles S. Haworth, Senior Psychiatrist, New Chicago Institute of Human Engineering. The following constitutes my report on the case of George and Lydia Abbott, which we discussed by telephone. Subject George relates onset of symptoms to the purchase of a $60,000 soundproofed happy life home. Under narcosynthesis during initial interviews, subject described the experience in the following manner. Miss Carver, would you play back the sonic record of the initial interview? We'd always wanted one, and then we could afford it, so... Go on, Mr. Abbott. Tell me about the home. The home. Well, it was supposed to do everything, the agent told us. And it did, I guess. It clothed us, fed us, and rocked us to sleep. Played and sang, and it was good to us. Very good, sure. Tell me about the nursery. The nursery. The nursery, ah. It was completely automatic? Completely automatic. There were crystalline walls that wavered from two to three dimensions... There were pseudo-textured floors that shifted from brick to dirt to waving grass. The nursery was the best, but then we wanted the best for the children. Doctor, I must be crazy. We have no children. What about Peter and Wendy? They're your children. Oh, no, no. We have no children, Doctor. We have no children. All right, Miss Carver. To continue. After three sessions, the subject was able to recall and accept the idea that he had two children. He described the first day. All right, Peter and Wendy, this is your nursery. What's so special about a nursery, Dad? Plenty. Just go in and see. Do we have to? You'll be surprised. Go ahead. I'm scared. I'm not. Hey, it's nice in here. It is? Come on in, Wendy. Boy, look at the pictures on the walls. They're real. <laughs> They're almost real. You can change them any way you like, just by thinking. Go on in, dear. Well, all right, Mommy. Hey, Wendy, look what I can do with the pictures. That's the white rabbit. From Alice in Wonderland. Sure. I just thought about it, and there it was. Let me try. Peter, let me try. Well, go ahead. Just think. How about Wizard and Oz? I want to see Wizard and Oz. <laughs> well, dear, there we are. Oh, they like it, don't why, they? Why shouldn't they? All I have to do is think, and they've got whatever they want in three dimensions. Color, sound, and smell. <laughs> Oh, it's nice that we can give them all the advantages. Sure. What else are we working for, huh? Mm. Well, what do you want to do this evening? Well, the Petersons asked us over for bridge, but well, if you... we don't have to worry about the kids. They'll be all right in the nursery. Come on, Lydia. We deserve a night out. Let's take a break from X-1. More after these words.
Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now back to X minus one. And in the nursery, the walls were a kaleidoscope of time and space and imagination. The green forest of Sherwood and the quiet forms of Robin and his merry men gave way to the roll of the high seas and the smell of salt in the air as Sir Henry Morgan sailed into the harbor at Jamaica. And behind the crystalline quartz walls, the vacuum tubes and grids and banks of metal image tape spun quietly and efficiently, erasing the line between illusion and reality. Of course, the electric bill from Consolidated Utilities was tremendous, but it was worth it. The happy life home breathed contentedly as life proceeded with soft automaticity as guaranteed in the brochure and bill of sale. George. Hmm? Uh, George, I wish you'd look at the nursery. What's, uh, what's wrong with it? I don't know. I was in the nursery last week. It's perfectly all right. It's different now. What do you mean, different? I want you to come and see. Are the kids there? No. Madge Allen took them to a show along with her kids. That's why I want you to look at it now, before they get back. Oh, all right. What you expect me to do, I don't know. I'm no mechanic. This isn't a question of a leaky faucet, George. All right, dear. I'm coming. Nursery light flicked on as they came down the hall. The relays clicked and the tubes warmed and chemical odor banks and pipes bubbled into life as they paused before the closed door. Go ahead, George. Open it. On all sides, in three dimensions, stretched the hot, tired landscapes of an African belt reproduced to the last stick and pebble and bit of straw. The ceiling above them became a sky with a hot yellow sun. A wind blew in from the baked veltland. The hot straw smell of lion grass. The cool green smell of the hidden waterhole. The great rusty smell of animals. <laughs> The howl of the jackal in the distance, and the papery rustling of the great vultures that wheeled and circled under the yellow burning sun. Let's get out of this, son. It's a little too real. Oh, George, you promised you'd look around. Well, I don't see anything. Wait a minute. There are the vultures. Filthy creatures. There. There are the lions. Far over that way. Yes, I see them. They're on their way to the water hole. They've just eaten. Some animal. A zebra or a baby giraffe, maybe. Can you see it? Are you sure? It's a little late to be sure. Nothing over there but clean bone and the vultures swooping down for what's left. Did you hear that scream? What scream? About a moment ago. Sorry, no. Oh, here come the lions. George, they're frightening. Take it easy, Lydia. They're just illusion. The 
lions were 15 feet away. So real, so startlingly real, you could feel the prickling fur on your hand, and your mouth was stuffed with the dusty upholstery smell of their heated pelts. And the yellow of them was in your eyes like the yellow of an exquisite tapestry. The yellows of lions and summer grass, and the sound of the matted lion lungs exhaling on the silent noontide, and the smell of meat from the panting, dripping mouth. I'm afraid they're so real. They're only an illusion, Lydia, that's all. Watch out! Ah! Out, quick, outside! They almost got Now take it easy, calm down. I could feel their breath. Get a hold of yourself, Lydia. They aren't real. Walls, that's all it is, crystalloid walls. They look so real. Of course they do. But it's all dimensional color reactionary process and metal tape film behind glass screens. It's all odor of phonics and sonics. Now, here, take my handkerchief. I'm afraid. Did you see? Did you feel it? It's too real. Now, now, Lydia. We've got to tell Wendy and Peter not to read any more on Africa. Of course, of course, dear. I want you to lock that place up. But you know how difficult Peter is about that. I punished him last week by locking the nursery for an afternoon, and he threw a tantrum. And Wendy, too. Well, they live for the nursery. It's got to be locked. That's all there is to it. You've been working too hard, Lydia. You need a rest. I don't know. Maybe I don't have enough to do. I have too much time to think. All I do is set the menu selector dials at the beginning of the week. But that's the whole idea. The house is automatic. I know, but couldn't we turn it off for about a week and take a vacation? You mean you want to fry eggs for me? And darn socks. I feel like I don't belong here. The house is wife and mother and maid. How can I compete with the African belt? George, hmm? those lions can't get out of there, can they? Of course not, dear. Now don't think about it anymore. They ate alone. He sat idly watching the dining room table produce warm dishes of food from its mechanical interior. You forgot the ketchup. That's better. It wouldn't hurt to lock the children out of the nursery for a while. It was clear that they had been spending too much time in Africa. That sun, he could feel it on his neck still like a hot paw. And the lions and the smell of blood. Remarkable how the nursery caught the telepathic emanations of the children's minds and created a life to fulfill their desires. The children thought zebras, and there were zebras. Sun, sun. Giraffes, giraffes. Death, and death. They were so young. But long before you knew what death was, you were wishing it on someone else. But this... The long, hot African belt, the awful death in the jaws of a lion, and repeated again and again and again. The children came home dutifully at 8.30. Hi, Mom. Hi, Pop. Hi. Do you want something to eat, dear? We're just having dessert. We're full of strawberry ice cream. And hot dogs. We'll just sit and watch. Sure. Uh... Peter, uh, tell us about the nursery. The nursery? All about Africa and everything. I don't understand. Well, your mother and I were just traveling through Africa with Rod and Reel. There's no Africa in the nursery. Oh, come now, Peter. We know better. 
I don't remember any Africa. Do you win? Uh-uh. Go run and see, huh? Sure. Uh, I'll be right back. Wendy, come back here. Wendy. Oh, she'll be right back, Pop. She doesn't have to. I've seen it. Come on. Sure, Pop. But Wendy will tell us. Open the door. See, Daddy? It's not Africa. It's Florida. Like in Bambi. There go the deer. See? It isn't Africa. I see it isn't. Go to bed. But it isn't nine o'clock. You heard me. Go to bed. Okay. Good night, Mom. Good night, Pop. Good night. Good night, dear. I'll be right in. Wait a minute, Lydia. Look at this. What is it? This is the corner where the lions were, isn't it? What is that you picked up? An old wallet of mine. There's a smell of hot grass on it. The smell of a lion. It's wet with saliva. And it's been chewed. George. Those smears of blood. Come on out. Now let's go to bed. But in the middle of the night, he was still awake. And he knew his wife was awake. George. How did your wallet get in the nursery? I don't know. Wendy must have changed the walls from the African belt. I'm going to keep it locked. Maybe it isn't good for the children. My father used to say children are like carpets. They should be stepped on occasionally. We've never lifted a hand. They're spoiled and we're spoiled. I think I'll have Dr. McLean come tomorrow morning and have a look at Africa. But it isn't Africa now. It's Florida and Bambi. I have a feeling it'll be Africa again before then. Although their automatic somno beds tried very hard, the two adults could not be rocked to sleep for another hour. A smell of cats was in the night air. And in the morning, the stove cooked French toast... And the dining room table poured the syrup and melted butter. Pop? Yes? You aren't going to lock up the nursery for good, are you? That all depends. On what? On you and your sister. We feel you should have some variety, dear. I wouldn't want the nursery locked up ever. Well, as a matter of fact, we're thinking of turning the whole house off for about a month. Sort of camping out. Be fun for a change. Now, don't you think so, Wendy? No, it'd be awful. I don't want to do anything but look and listen and smell. What else is there to do? Oh, all right, all right. Go play in Africa. Are you going to shut off the house soon? We're considering it. I don't think you better consider it anymore, Pop. I won't have any threats from you, son. Okay, Pop. Come on, Wendy. Let's get back. After breakfast, Dr. David McLean arrived. Oh, I saw the nursery last year, George. It looked all right to me. You didn't notice anything unusual? No. The pattern showed the usual violence, a tendency towards slight paranoia. All children feel persecuted by their parents. It's perfectly normal. There. There it is. Suppose we take a look at it now. They entered without knocking and sent the children out. The screams had faded and the lions were feeding quietly under the trees. I wish I could see what they're eating. How long has this been going on? A little over a month. 
certainly doesn't feel good. I don't want feelings. I want facts, George. George, a psychologist, never saw a fact in his life. He knows about feelings. And this doesn't feel good. Now, my advice to you is to have the whole room torn down and your children brought to me every day for the next year for treatment. Is it that bad? I'm afraid so. You know, that's why the nursery was developed originally, to let us examine the patterns left on the wall by a child's mind. But what is it? What's wrong with Peter and Wendy? It's hard to say. I haven't punished them more than average. Oh, I took away a few gadgets. Last week, I locked the nursery to show I meant business. You've let this room replace you and your wife in your children's affections. This room is their real father and mother. And now you come along and want to shut it. You can feel the hatred coming out of that sky. George, turn everything off. The nursery, the automatic kitchen, the whole automatic house. Start now. But won't the shock be too much for the children? I don't want them going any deeper. Let's get out of here. Never like these rooms. Get nervous. Those lions look real, don't they? I don't suppose there's any way... What? That they could become real. Not that I know. Some flaw in the machinery, tampering? No. I don't imagine the room will like being turned off. Nothing ever likes to die, even a room. I wonder if it hates me for turning it off. Paranoia is thick today. Hello. Is this your scarf? It's stained. Brown. Blood. That's Lydia's. Come on, the main fuse box is out here. Go ahead. Pull the switch. hysterics. They screamed and kicked and threw things. They yelled and sobbed and swore and jumped on the furniture weeping. It's off and it stays off. The whole house dies as of now. He marched around the house cutting switches and pulling fuses. Don't let them do it. Don't let Pop kill everything. I hate you. I hate you. Insults won't get you anywhere. I wish you were dead. We were for a long while. Now we're going to start really living. Instead of being handled in massage, we're going to live. Once more, Daddy. Just once more. One more minute of the nursery, that's all. Just one more minute. Oh, George, it can't hurt, really. Oh, Oh, all right, all right. Only shut up. One minute, and that's the end. Forever. Gee, thanks, Pop. Thanks. And then we're going on a vacation. Dr. McLean is coming in half an hour to help us out. Lydia, turn on the nursery for just a minute. Oh, boy. Come on, Wendy. Come on. Thanks, Daddy. Thanks a lot. Just one minute, remember? Now, where'd I put those suitcases? Lydia! Don't shout, George. I'm right here. Did you leave them alone in the nursery? Well, I've got to get ready, George. Well, I guess we'd better get them out of there before they get involved with those beasts again. Pop! Pop! Come here! Daddy! Mommy! Come on, quick. Wendy! Peter! What's the matter? Hurry up! Open the nursery. Wendy! Peter! Uh, They aren't anywhere. Wendy! Peter! Peter! The door. Open the door. They've locked up from the outside. Peter! Peter! Wendy! Peter! Open the door, dear! Let us out, Peter! Open the door! It's time to go! Open the door! George! The 
lions. Peter, do you hear me? Open this door. They're all around us, George. Son. Son, do you hear me? Let us out. Son. George. Look out. The lions. They're coming. Dr. David McLean came half hour later. He found the two children in the nursery sitting in the center of the open glade eating a picnic lunch. Beyond them was the water hole and the yellow veldt land. Above was the hot sun. At a distance, Dr. McLean saw the lions fighting and clawing and then settling down to feed in silence under the shady trees. Hi, kids. Where are your mom and dad? Oh, they'll be here directly. Good, good. We've got to get along. He squinted at the lions with his hands up to his eyes. Now they were done feeding and they moved to the water hole to drink. A shadow flickered as the vultures dropped down from the blazing sky to finish what the lions left. Dr. McLean? Dr. McLean? Huh? What? Have a cup of tea? Which concludes my report to date. There were no lions, of course. Not in a physical sense. Lydia and George were devoured, however, almost as surely as if there had been lions. Their personalities were devoured by the mechanistic marbles which had usurped their role as parents. All four members of the family are under intensive therapy now and are doing as well as can be expected. Send that by telerope, Miss Carver. Oh, and uh, would you ask George Abbott to step inside? I'm ready for him now. You have just heard X-1, presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Street and Smith, publishers of astounding science fiction. Tonight, by transcription, X-1 has brought you The Velt, written by Ray Bradbury and adapted for radio by Ernest Kenoy. Featured in the cast were Mary Patton, Bill Quinn, David Pfeffer, Beverly Lunsford, Charles Penman, and John Larkin. Your announcer, Fred Collins. And that's X-1 with The Velt, starring John Larkin, a story by Ray Bradbury from August 4th, 1955. It's heard on NBC. Let's take a break. Then it's more here of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, Carl Amari here. During the month of May, log on to ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1, featuring 12 exciting tales of high adventure. Escape Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99 this month only. Also on sale during May is The Life of Riley Volume 1, featuring 12 comedy episodes starring William Bendix. The Life of Riley Volume Volume 1 is regularly priced at $19.99, but it's yours for half price, only $9.99, via digital download this month only. Visit ClassicRadioStore.com and digitally download Escape Volume 1 and The Life of Riley Volume 1 at 50% off their regular price. In June, these two collections will go back to full price, so don't miss them while they're on sale during May. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to order, and while you're there, download an episode of Suspense starring Cary Grant, Absolutely free as our gift to you. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, as heard on Family Theater, then Charles Boyer, guest stars on the Burns and Allen Show. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.